I think that it's so important to have um, various thoughts and voices in and points of views um, when technology is being created. Because if you think of it, it, it's not like poof, it's there. It takes sometimes years to develop some of these new technologies. It's just important to have kind of both genders involved in the creation of it. Welcome everyone to Do Well and Do Good. You're here because you have the desire to create financial freedom, but you also want to make a powerful, positive impact on the world. This podcast exists to tell the inspiring stories of men and women who have achieved both, people who do well and do good. I'm your host, Dorothy Ilson, and I'm here to help you discover proof that individuals have the ability to make a massive impact. Welcome back everyone to episode 86. Today's guest, I actually found out about when someone reached out to me and told me that I absolutely had to have her on the podcast. And once I researched all about who she is and what she's doing, I absolutely agreed. Her name is Katie Malik, and she's the CEO of Dress Code Tech a company that is merging fashion and technology to excite and educate women and girls about computer science, coding, and STEM. Over the last 18 months, Dresscode has exposed almost 3,000 women and girls to STEM, and the company also gives back financially to fund STEM education. Katie previously held strategy, tech, and marketing roles for Fortune 100 companies, but has found her passion with dress code and in 2018 was even named to Remedista's list of women to watch in business disruption. In this episode, Katie talks about why she believes the entrepreneurial spirit has been in her from the start, what she learned at Fortune 100 companies that she's applied to starting a new company, as well as why it is so important to get more women into tech. But before we jump into today's episode, I want to remind you to join our Facebook group. That's where you can vote for the Do Well and Do Good Challenge, as well as get tips, ideas, and advice on how to increase both your income and your impact. You can find the Facebook group at dowellanddogood.co backslash FB. And without further ado, here's my conversation with Katie Malik. Kate, thank you so much for coming on the show. I'm excited to have you here. Thanks for having me. I'm super excited as well. So let's dive straight into your story. You know, set the stage for us. What was life like for you growing up? And what was the mindset around money and success that was instilled in you as a young person? So early on, money and success was super important. Growing up, um, I talked a little bit about this ginormous family that I had. My mom is one of nine and I have 21 first cousins on one side of the family. And just going down the line, everyone is super supportive and super just willing to like help everyone get to the next level. And I just have found that that has transpired in the rest of my life, whether it is with my friends or even like where I chose to go to college and go to business school. It's almost that sense of community has followed me throughout my whole entire life. And would you say that entrepreneurship specifically was, you know, kind of instilled in you when you were young, or was it really just around success in general and, you know, creating a good career? There's kind of two ends to the spectrum there. I think um, intrinsically, I was born with this entrepreneurial drive and the ability to like, create things out of nothing. Like even as a young child, I would sew and make scrunchies. 
um, and sell them to people and give them away as gifts. And I was always trying to find ways to create things and make money. And I really think that comes from my father's side of the family. Um, They are entrepreneurs and builders to the core. Um, My grandfather built houses till the day he died. And my dad and his brothers all kind of grew up in this family business. That being said, my parents divorced when I was four. And I was pretty much strictly raised by my mother, who ultimately went from not having a college degree to retiring like an executive from a role um, that she spent 17 years at a very large company. So there's this the side of my in, intrinsically from my father, I think, of me um, wanting to take risks and start companies and do all of that. But then growing up in a very conservative, um, being taught a very conservative mindset on career and job, like you go to college, you work for a company, you get a good job and you just, you stay in that job and you get a 401k and you build wealth that way. And you, and I've kind of zigzagged and, but always have come back to the safety net of like a real job. Right. So that's why early in my career, I spent so much time in, you know, these large corporations, Bank of America, Sears that were awesome at, at one time, but have struggled throughout their course of a company. So I think that the mindset of just get a job and stay at a company until you die was what was kind of taught to me. And I've struggled with that. I know that there's tons of opportunities if you um, you grow a career within a company, but sometimes it takes longer or in a ginormous company, you just sometimes don't have the ability to like stretch your legs and try things and grow um, in some of the lower level positions. And I just not patient enough to sit for 15 years and wait for someone to say, Hey, you have a good idea. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think part of this entrepreneurial spirit that you're talking about is like just this desire to like grab the bull by the horns and like make shit happen as opposed to waiting for promotions or waiting for, you know, recognition at a larger company. Um, so I completely understand that. Well, so I'm curious. You worked at a number of different, like massive Fortune 100 corporations, and then you decided to go to business school. So, was a desire to shift into entrepreneurship part of what prompted you to go back to school, or, or what caused that decision? So, it was a lot of little things. I think at the end of the day, what was the biggest catalyst was a mentor I had at one of the large, large banks I worked at. And he basically said, You need to go to business school. And kind of rewinding back to that very conservative kind of family, they're like, you already have a college degree. You're doing great. Like, you don't need to go to school. You're like eight or 10 years out and eight years out at the time, I think. And they're like, you don't need to just continue to work. And I was getting pushed by people around me at work to say, you need to go to business school. We'll help you. And essentially, one of my mentors, this ginormous bank that I worked at, kind of wrote it into my role that I would study like an hour a day to kind of prep for that process of applying and taking the tests and going through all of that. That was kind of the catalyst for that. And then as I was looking at business schools and looking at, you know, what is the next step after business school, I think the mentor was like, oh, she's going to stay with the bank and grow and whatever. And, um, you know, looking at all these options and opportunities, 
I think that's where I started to explore the idea of either going into, here we go back to this, like corporate America or go all risky out. And it's um, either going into a very competitive rotational program at one of these ginormous companies or going and starting a company on my own. And that was kind of the two kind of things I was looking to do as I went into business school is either try and get into one of these rotational programs or start a company. And fast forward, I decided to start a company versus going and working crazy hours and being on someone else's time. And I still work crazy hours and I still am on other people's time, but different in a sense. So, um, so that was that. Yeah. So, so you decided to go the entrepreneurial route. How was the idea behind Dress Code born? So it actually started as a class project. And I think it was a perfect storm of all of my years of experience leading up to this class because I had spent 12 years or so in corporate technology and um, strategy for banks and retailers. And I knew e-commerce. I knew product development. And I also had this passion for like getting girls excited about coding and also um, this love of innovation and technology and fashion and how do you bring that all together? And I think, you know, that is at the core what, what dress code is. We say um, we emerge fashion and technology. We believe that there's beauty in technology and that's kind of how it came together. But it actually, like I said, it started as a class project and it was an entrepreneur class. And to be honest, it wasn't my first idea for the class. So the way that the class worked is that people gave their ideas and teams formed around those ideas. And I had come into the class doing some research on um, something at the time. Like I think it was like gym, geriatric gyms or something. And that's what I was going to pitch. I wasn't really excited about it. And then as I was sitting in the class, um, the idea came to me. It was like, what if you had these bracelets that teach people how to code? And there was this platform that you would learn and people would go and collaborate. And it was this very rough idea. And as people went around the classroom saying, here's my idea, the Uber this or the Airbnb of this, which you know, there's already one Uber and there's already one Airbnb. So it's <laughs> a little lazy. Um, no offense. Um, you know, I'm like, what, you know, why don't I just say this idea and see what happens? Like I have nothing to lose and everything to gain. This is why I went to business school to learn. And I, I like, I firmly believe the teacher of the class is like one of the best professors for this. And so I went and I pitched it and it was really rough. And the idea was maybe four minutes old at the time. <laughs> I pitched it and no one joined my team. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I spent the rest of the day like, you know what? It doesn't really matter. I still think it's a good idea and I'm going to go see if I can build a website about it. Then, like I said, I spent the rest of the day trying to figure out which team to join because I wanted to work on something that was fun and innovative and not the Airbnb of this or the Uber of this. And so finally, I decided on this team of guys that I already knew I had a track record with and I could work with. So I just joined their team. And they were working on something like for military engagements that was four guys, all ex-military, like Purple Heart Marine, a Top Gun pilot from the Navy, and like a Ranger from the Army, and then a like ex-pro football player or something. These are my guys on my team. And we're working on this military thing. And by the end of the class, me and my still 
co-founder had convinced the rest of the team to move from this military thing to work on dress code. And so um, my co-founder, Brian, saw the, saw the vision behind the idea in the class. And he's like, you know what? I kind of would have joined your team. And I'm glad that we came together on this because he and I started just like spitballing stuff. And, you know, two and a half years later, we have customers in 35 states and four countries and we're growing and we're building teams and we're building software. So that's kind of how the idea of Just Code started. I know that was probably a little long-winded, but um, after, after that class, we then in turn, Brian and I, continued to use um, dress code as the example for anything we could for projects going through the rest of business school. So we use our teachers and the resources that we had at the University of Notre Dame to be able to, to grow the company. You know, Kate, I just love that story because at the end of the day, it comes back to trusting your gut, right? I mean, you're going into this class where you have to make a pitch and you get this this inspired thought for dress code and you went with it, you trusted it. And I think that that's something that you know, requires a lot of courage. But when you get that that feeling in your gut, that's just like, you know, this is it. I think it's so important to act on it. Because if you had, you know, just kind of retreated from that in fear and gone with the geriatric gyms idea, you know, who knows if if dress code ever would have even become a, you know, a real concept or if it would have just ended there with with the idea with that passing thought. And so you know, I think that that in and of itself is a very important lesson. And also, you know, you mentioned just the the creativity and the innovation around this idea that you had for dress code. You know, it's something that is so different from everything else that's out there. And you know, for anyone who isn't familiar, um, you've you've mentioned it a little bit, but could you just explain how the bracelets work and and how girls get excited about STEM and tech by buying these products? So at Dress Code, we have bracelets that have inspiring messages on them in computer science code. And you take that code to our website, type it in, and it unlocks lessons on how to code. So for each bracelet, you get 30 to 50 minutes of a coding lesson. And to progress through the system or to progress through the curriculum, you buy another bracelet to unlock another lesson. And currently, we have a curriculum where you build a website all about yourself and you're you're learning um, a lot of front-end development skills. So you're learning CSS and JavaScript and HTML and kind of the core functions of that to make you dangerous. So um, that's kind of how it works. Why is it so important to get more women in tech? So I just think in general, it's important to get people engaged in tech and understand where we're going with it because um, the world is changing super quickly. and you're not informed and knowledgeable, you're going to be left behind. And if we drill down a little bit deeper into why it's important to excite women of all ages about technology, not just younger women, but older women as well, is that just from a jobs perspective, every year, something like over 600,000 jobs go unfilled, tech jobs, because no one has a skill set for it. And when I was working in these large companies and hiring teams and building teams, there were some cases where we just couldn't find the resource to do the work. So that's one thing. The other thing is also from the kind of the emotion or the intelligence aspect of it. If, got, if only guys are creating technology, 
then we're only going to get one side of a product or something. And there's so many case studies on where like a group of dudes or a group of developers that are guys created something that they thought was awesome. And in theory, it probably was, but they were building it for like a woman's audience and they totally missed the mark. And so I think that it's so important to have um, various thoughts and voices in and points of views um, when technology is being created. Because if you think of it, it, it's not like poof, it's there. It takes sometimes years to develop some of these new technologies. It's just important to have kind of both genders involved in the creation of it. There's a whole host of other stats I could quote, like, um, in the 1980s, 37% of all computer science majors were women. Today, that number is under 20%. So over time, we went kind of in the wrong direction. So why is that? Um, also, just the, like their high-paying, high-potential jobs or just career paths that um, can lead to a very happy life. So yeah, that's why it's so important to have women and girls in technology. Yeah. You know, one statistic that I actually heard recently going in a different direction, you and I both live in Chicago and Chicago, it turns out, actually has the highest percentage of female founded startups in the world. So I'm curious, you know, what has your experience been like as a female founder and you know, what advice would you give to women who are looking to start or grow their companies? Chicago is a wonderful place for women to start businesses. And you're right, 30% of all startups in Chicago are founded by women. And even Melinda Gates was here a couple of weeks ago and was just super impressed on what is going on here in Chicago. And I think that there are a few reasons why there are so many female founders in Chicago. One, I think, and in no particular order either. One, I think, is the WISDOM program that is out of 1871. So for those of you who have never heard of 1871 or are unsure of what they are, it's an incubator here in Chicago. It's about six or seven years old. And last year was ranked the number one incubator in the world. They then have an accelerator program for women founders or female founders. And it's a 12, 10 to 12-week program where you kind of go through everything you need to be pitch ready, to be investor ready. And so I think they're on their eighth or ninth cohort at this point over like three years. And I think um, at this point, they've helped, I'm going to get this number wrong, but almost $100 million in like capital raised for female founders. So that's a huge number. It just from that has stemmed this wonderful community. I also think the fact that there are so many well-known business schools in Chicago is another reason why you're seeing a lot of female founders. And then I just think it's cool to be a female founder. (laughs) And so that could be it as well. What advice would you have for a woman who is looking to start or grow their company? So two things, just start. Like as women, I think we kind of contemplate too much, you know, we think too much. You just you need to put one foot in front of the other and get going because if you don't start, you never will. The other thing that I feel is missed is make sure that it has a good business case or that you can figure out how to get to profitability. Because what I find in a lot of kind of these like startup classes or they kind of miss the boat on the finance portion or the fact that it's a business. So, you know, you have to figure out, okay, if, if I want to have a company, need to figure out how it's going to make money. And that should be kind of at the core of 
you know, you're planning. So I think the two, the two, and then get engaged with a community. So I think the three things are just start. The next is make sure that you have a solid business case and then join a startup community and start to um, make friends and work with other founders because they're going to help raise you up and help your company grow. Are there any lessons from your time working with Fortune 100 companies that have been especially valuable for you in starting Dress Code? Oh, for sure. Like in my time in large corporations, like I hated it. I was unhappy and miserable. But then when I took a step away, like there was so much I learned. And there was like today, like I was in some of the biggest Fortune 500 companies when they were at the worst of times. So, you know, learning things like how to get things built on a budget or some other things that I, I learned how to be a product manager so that I could then go and build my product, my software product. I learned e-commerce in apparel. So that's hence why we have dress code. I, I learned the business of apparel and accessories from one of the world's largest retailers. So there's so many learnings. And I think it took a moment to kind of take a step back and see, evaluate some of the learnings that I had. Another thing that I learned is that I can get stuff done. <laughs> These large organizations, it's very, very hard to move the needle, especially when you're not in a senior position. And like taking a step back, going to business school and learning from a group of my peers, I did a lot. I didn't feel like I was doing a lot at the time, but um, I was able to get stuff done in large corporations that it was very hard to get stuff done in. You know, you mentioned mentors earlier, that it was a mentor of yours at the bank that um, prompted you to go to business school. You know, in general, how would you say mentors have impacted your journey? So I think that's a really interesting question. It, it isn't like I've gone and I've like seeked out a mentor and said, hey, will you be my mentor? I think like it's after the fact that you realize that they were mentors or, or you find someone that... I think early in my career, people came to me and were trying to help me move me along. And then as I've kind of transitioned, it's like finding people that I want to emulate in business or just in life and then getting to know them and then asking for advice and asking for help. So never really had like a, you are my official mentor, except for once where I went through the innovation. Chicago Innovation has a mentoring program for women. And that was a fantastic experience. I had a wonderful woman that um, was uh, super engaged in helping. And I know that I can call on her in the future. But if you just mentors in general, I think that um, very much informal until that point. But like I said, finding people that you want to emulate and learning from them is, is how I've um, kind of established who I want to mentor me. Sometimes they don't know that they're mentoring me. Too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, I think that's a great point, right? Like so often you, know, you hear people asking, how do I get a mentor? How do I get a mentor? And it's like, the best relationships, they don't come from you, you know, reaching out to someone on LinkedIn and saying, hey, will you be my mentor? You know, I think it starts from a real relationship, right? I mean, connecting with someone on, on an individual level and then adding value. You know, if there's someone who 
you want to learn from, you know, you want to, you know, to assist you in in your growth or your career development, it's important to actually ask the question, you know, how can I provide value to this person? You know, what can I do for them? You know, where where in turn, you know, it can be a value exchange rather than just some one-sided take, take, take sort of thing. And so, you know, I think it's it's a great point. And, you know, for for these relationships to really be of the greatest value, it does need to be, you know, a, a real a real relationship and not just um, you know, something that's that's one sided or, you know, very uh, I guess structured as a mentorship mentee sort of um caricature. Well, so Kate, you know, I'm curious, what is your vision for dress code over the next five, 10 years or beyond? I think dress code becomes a place where fashion technology thrives and flourishes. You know, we're very strategic in kind of making our mission. We believe there's beauty and innovation and we merge fashion and technology to excite and educate women and girls about computer science and coding and STEM. And that takes many shapes and forms. So today we have our core product, our coding bracelets. Um, Very soon we're about to make a huge announcement about kind of the next chapter in dress code and diving more into kind of fashion tech and commerce and you know how do we excite women that way. So I think three to five years down we have a flourishing kind of retail presence. We've expanded our assortment, we've expanded our lessons, but then we also are thought leaders in the space of fashion technology and retail technology. So that's kind of where I see Jessica going over the next few years. Well, Kate, I absolutely could not be more excited about what you're doing at Dress Code. I mean, I think for for me, especially, you know, being a woman and being specifically a, a woman who's interested in, you know, in technology, representation is so important. And the more that we can encourage women of all ages to get excited about STEM and to, you know, look at these um, these careers to to a larger degree than we have historically, it's only going to be good for for the benefit of everyone and the benefit of these technologies that are being created. So you know, I thank you for that. And unfortunately, we are running out of time. So my last question for you is, you know, as you know, here on the show, we have what I call the do well and do good challenge. So this is where I encourage our listeners who want to give back to contribute to the nonprofits that are nominated by my guests. So could you tell me what organization you're nominating and why it's so meaningful to you? So I mentioned two of them already, Chicago Innovation and 1871. They both are nonprofits. And if anyone is interested in funding their mission, I would suggest giving money to them. I think that if we're specific to Chicago, they are really driving innovation and focused on women in tech. So I think that those two organizations and startup life and all of that. So if you are interested in helping them out, you can do that. And they are always open for funding and um, yeah. And lastly, Kate, before we say goodbye, where can our listeners go to learn more about you, about dress code, and to follow everything you're doing? Yeah, sure. So um, you can find us at www.dresscodetech.com. You can also follow us on Instagram and Twitter at dresscodetech. And then I can also be found on Twitter at Katie Malik. And Katie is spelled K-A-Y-T-E-M-A-L-I-K. So that is that. And thank you so much for having me. This has been a real pleasure. Thank you. It's been so much fun. 
All right, everyone, that's our show. Now, before I sign off, I want to introduce any new listeners to how the Do Well and Do Good Challenge works. There are two ways that you can participate. The first is if you are looking to do more to give back, I encourage you to contribute to any of the nonprofits nominated by my guests. Send a screenshot of your receipt to challenge at dowellanddogood.co and your donation will be included in our monthly tally of the tangible impact this podcast is having. The second way you can participate is absolutely free and that's by voting. See, in the first couple days of each month, we host a vote inside of our free Facebook community to determine which of the nonprofits nominated the month before that I will then donate a portion of my advertising agency's profits to. It's an awesome way to make your voice heard, and we've been able to raise money for some incredible organizations doing good in the world. So if you'd like to be a part of it, then head over to dowellanddogood.co backslash Facebook, where you'll find a link to join the group. Once you're inside, I'm also sharing tips, ideas, resources, and more to help you both increase your income and your impact. We're having so much fun inside there. So head over again to dowellanddogood.co backslash Facebook, and I'll see you on the inside. It means the world to me to earn your time. So thank you so much for listening. Thank you.